Welcome to Aletheia Bible Fellowship. The sermon uh, today is about pride of life, specifically identity in regards to justice. Um, please, um, you know, tune in. Hope you enjoy it. And also, if you'd like to see some more that we have to offer, you can find that at our website. That's at abfpdx.org. Today we're starting on a new subject. It's not as uh, it's not as flashy as uh, lust and, and sex. It's uh, it is, however, something that uh, we definitely deal with on a regular basis. There is no possible way you could uh, live in Portland and not uh, be aware of uh, of what's going on. Uh, so far this year, of course, we've handled uh, lust of flesh, we've handled uh, the lust of senses, and now we're turning to uh, pride of life. We basically are taking opportunity to break down aspects that we face in our everyday lives, and the goal, of course, is to begin to learn how it is uh, that we should be able to discern uh, all of these things that are coming in all of these inputs each and every day. Um, the various sources that we have available to us, the constant availability of media, um, the constant availability of uh, people that uh, would have some type of platform or clout. Uh, social media is in just about everybody's pocket. Uh, the news now talks more about what's been posted on Twitter than it talks about what's actually happening in your own community. It's a world that would be almost impossible for people to envision even a decade ago. But yet the Bible spoke to this type of thing centuries ago. So now as we... Uh, take a look this year specifically at how it is that we deal with all of these inputs and the constant glut of information that is just so in our face. Um, we have to break that down in order to discern what uh, it is that we should be gleaning from it, what it is that we should be taking uh, on from it, what it is that we should be uh, putting that into our lives. Determine how to handle it, how we should process it, how we should filter it, all of that. Um, how is it that all of this information should inform our lives? What is it that we should actually take hold of and take action on? Because ultimately, these decisions that we make based on all this information will affect the actions that we take, the relationships that we strengthen, and those that we let die. Um, it affects every aspect of our lives. So it's important that as we get all this information in, we take that opportunity, and we discern. In order to be able to discern what comes from God, of course, that means that we have to spend time with God, spend time in God's Word, so that we have a clear foundational understanding of those types of things. So today, as we start to uh, work on pride of life, uh, we're going to take uh, you know, specific aspects of it, and I'm going to talk about those, and we'll be continuing to talk about pride of life and different aspects through the remainder of the year. So uh, Colin and, and Adam and, and myself again later will be talking about different aspects of it. 
So since we're going to be spending you know, the, the last half of the year talking about Pride of Life, it's important to understand what it is that we're talking about. What does it mean? Um, what does Pride of Life actually refer to? Uh, so the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at First uh, John uh, chapter 2, verse 16. This is one of the places that we get the, the, the verbiage for Pride of Life. Uh, we're going to uh, try to determine exactly what it means by looking at, well, looking at, at the way that different translations uh, translate these, these words. Um, first and foremost, uh, many of you probably have the uh, NLT version available to you. So if you look at the uh, NLT and you turn to 1 John, by the way, just a, a heads up, this is going to be a good sermon for you to practice your sword drills. Uh, because we are laying the foundation for Pride of Life and laying the foundation for the basic topic of uh, social justice and race today and throughout the month. It's good to start with that foundation, found in God's Word, which means we're going to use God's Word to help to define things. So in 1 uh, John chapter 2, verse 16, uh, the NLT says... Well, what does it say? This apparently was the wrong version for me to have up here. And apparently I need to get my eyes checked again. Where's Pastor Monty's Bible? There we go. <clears throat> uh, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So, craving for physical pleasure. Craving for everything we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. The New American Standard uh, translation says, uh, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. The New International Reader's Version says, here's what the people who belong to the world do. They try to satisfy their sinful desires. Uh, they want to do, they long for, for what their sinful eyes look at, and they take pride in what they have and what they do. The Amplified Bible Classic Edition says, for all that is good in the world, the lust of the flesh craving for sensual gratis, gratisfaction or gratifaction, the lust of the eyes, greedy longing of the mind, and the pride of life, assurance in one's own resources or stability of earthly things. And the uh, ERV, the easy-to-read version, says, This is all there is in the world, wanting to please our sinful selves, wanting the sinful things we see, and being too proud of what we have. But none of these comes from the Father, they come from the world. So all these different versions are saying the same thing, just with different words. So the pride of life that we're looking at is basically taking a primary pride in what we have or what we do. So these are the attributes that we attach to ourselves and that type of thing. This was all started in Genesis with a simple lie, right? In Genesis 3-4, the serpent comes before Eve and says one simple phrase, but it was enough. You will be like God. 
knowing both good and evil. Eve then looked at that fruit, and she saw that it looked good, and she took and ate of it. You will be like God. So thinking of self and identifying based on what you have, based on what you want, based on what you think is rightfully yours, ultimately based on what you feel. Because it feels good to identify by this, right? There's a sense of emotional release to say, I am this. Now, it might be difficult for you to think about how it is that you identify yourselves, but just, you know, look at some easy examples. Uh, think about how it is that you introduce yourself to others when you meet them for the first time. What aspects of your life is it that you share with them? Do I greet people and say, hi, my name is James Spearsina. I work for the Internal Revenue Service. Only when I'm answering the phones. It's great fun at parties. It's also great fun at parties when I tell them I'm a pastor as well. What is the question that is the standard small talk greeting amongst strangers? Oh, hi. And what do you do? And how do you answer that question? What do you do? Isn't it kind of like a broad and general question? What do you do? Well, I got up this morning, I put on clothes, went to the bathroom, brushed my teeth. No, I didn't shower, I'm going to do that till later. What do you do? How is it that you answer that question? What attributes of your life, of your, of your actions that you take each and every day, do you identify yourself with when you're speaking to others? What is the focus, the primary focus of what it is that you want other people to know about you? Is your primary focus your life? You know, hey, I have a great family, I have kids, this is what I want to talk about. Is it your occupation? I work here. Is it your hobbies? I'm an avid golfer. That's not true, I'm not. What, what is it that you identify with? I, I prefer to have sex with the same sex. What is that? What is it that you choose to identify with? This month, today, I'm going to be talking about race. So when I go up and greet somebody, do I say, hi, I'm a white guy? How is it that I primarily identify myself? Because that speaks a lot to what I hold as the primary thing in my life. Do I hold God as my focus? Do I hold my relationship through Christ with God as the thing that drives me? Or do I pick out different physical attributes and identify as those? I mean, clearly, if I'm going to introduce myself, I need to say, hi, I'm white and I'm balding. It's an attribute that is brought to my attention on a regular basis, so it's obviously important, and now I feel better because I've shared that with you. See, that type of reasoning is what we hear from the world. Now that I'm at peace with the fact that I'm balding, I can be my true self. Although I've been told that I'm not allowed to shave my head. 
It's a personal preference. We often identify by these types of things, uh, by our jobs or our lack of jobs. Uh, if you go to school, um, we use uh, also different you know, sinful identifiers, right? Those different things that we, we hold out as, as important in our lives that help to identify us. This is how we can see what our primary focus is. This is how we know what we hold up as a standard as opposed to God and our relationship with God. Pride of life is a huge topic and there's so many aspects of it. It will take more than we could possibly do in this six-month period through the end of the year. It's really like five months because we have the holidays as well, right? Race and social justice is so much bigger, especially on the stage that it's at today, than I could possibly cover in a month. But we can cover some good foundational understandings. We can set the field for us so we're set up for success. We can prepare ourselves to take in more and to understand and to discern even better how these things affect our lives, what it is that we're going through, um, how we're living, what we're exposed to. As Christians, we need to make sure as we take in all this information, right, that we're discerning what is of God and what is of the world and understand what is actually at stake for us. It's not just a simple thing. It affects people's lives. It affects how people live their lives. It dictates the actions that they take. And we face questions regarding racism and racist attitudes. There's facts and feelings and opinions swirling around us. It's like a tornado, a cacophony, whatever word you want to use to describe the chaos that we're inundated with on a regular basis. So like I said, as we deal with people's motives being called into question and hate and fear, pain, anger, violence, theft, destruction, cries against the oppressors, as we hear the sound of peaceful protests and riots within earshot of our building, the place that we choose to gather to worship, we can't help but become involved in some way in that discussion. So we best be informed. So where is it that we start to determine what the Bible says about justice, our role in justice, how justice is served? In the Bible, right? If you want to know what the Bible says, it sounds like a great idea to actually read the Bible. Because the Bible is replete with references to justice in both the Old and New Testaments. The idea and the concept of justice is not removed in any way, shape, or form. In fact, as we look through scriptures, we'll find that it is uh, very important. If we look back in the Old Testament, we'll see uh, Moses singing. Moses singing in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Starting in verse 3, Moses, literally before he dies, 
takes opportunity to write the book of Deuteronomy as a reminder for the Israelites and a reminder of his love for God and what he has seen God do in his lifetime. In chapter 32, verse 3, he says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is faithful. He is a God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? And Moses is not alone in singing the praises of God and how just and righteous and fair. David, as well, sings of God in Psalms 89, 14. In Psalms 89, 14, David says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. So not only is God just, but he's so just that he is worthy of singing praises to his name because of how just he is. God is just. It is part of his character. Which means he is always just. He cannot be unjust. He, as the creator of all things therefore would define and set the standard for all justice. So the standard isn't whatever we choose, whatever we pick, whatever adjective that we would you know, impress upon the word justice. The standard for justice is God himself, who is just and righteous, and who has created all the things. Now we turn to Ezekiel. I told you guys to be ready. I gave you a fair warning. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18 verse 30 through 32. Ezekiel 18 says, Therefore I will judge each of you, O people of Israel, according to your actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Repent and turn from your sins and don't let them destroy you. Put all your rebellion behind you and find yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O people of Israel? I don't want you to die, says the Sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. So even in the Old Testament, replete for his, his love for his chosen people, the vehicle that he would use to bring his son to earth, God says of the nation of Israel, of the individuals of Israel, turn back and live. He also identifies that they will be judged, each of them, according by their actions. And this follows along into the New Testament as well. So this isn't just God talking about the Israelites, but this continues on if you look in Luke chapter 18. Yes, we went from Ezekiel 18 to Luke 18. Luke 18 verses 1 through 8. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared nor cared 
uh, neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of the city came to him repeatedly asking, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find who have faith? So we see in both the Old and New Testament that justice is God upholding his glory against every sin. God is the one who judges. God is the one who decides. God is giving reward to the righteous and to the unrighteous. Judging each accordingly based on their deeds based on each person's own merit. God, in fact, did not even spare his own son when his son took upon himself our sin and guilt on the cross. God is just, and Jesus Christ giving his life on the cross and purchasing our redemption is our model of justice. Back to the Old Testament, Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, starting in verse 15 and ending there, actually. Uh, Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. And also, bouncing back to the New Testament in Acts chapter 10, we see this following through as well. In chapter 10, verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Christ Jesus, who is Lord of all. So justice is applied equally to all people. The poor, the rich, the weak, the strong. Just as God shows no favoritism, when we are to seek justice as well, we cannot show favoritism either. We do not give an extra measure to those who are poor. We do not give less to those who are rich. We do not bend to the will of those who are in power or heap extra blessing on those who are weak. Equally to all people. If you remember, we started looking at Ezekiel 18.30. 
there's another key concept of justice that is found there. In verse 32 of chapter 18 of Ezekiel, God says, I don't want you to die. Turn back and live. Peter himself continues this concept in the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, when he says that Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered a physical death, but he was raised to life in spirit. So the attribute of justice that we see described in these places as well shows that the guilty are offered a redemption. The guilty are given a path to reconciliation. Remember, God says to the Israelites, I don't want you to die. Repent and live. And then God, in his ultimate wisdom, provides a vehicle for not just the Israelites, but for all of us. As his son, following his father's will, takes upon him all of our transgressions and conquers them once and for all, is sacrificed for what it is that we have done. God provided a way for us to be reconciled to him to show us justice. So the power of Christ's redemption, hope, this is an example of God's grace. Grace is an aspect of justice. In fact, grace is so much an aspect of justice. You've all heard of Isaac Newton? I'm sorry, I'm making an assumption. Has everybody heard of Isaac Newton? Yeah. Right. Is everybody affected by the theory of gravity, I'm assuming? Yeah. All right, you're stuck here on Earth. Okay. So, uh, Isaac Newton, believe it or not, uh, and I think this was mentioned just a couple weeks ago, Isaac Newton is the one who penned a song that we sometimes say, well, of course we sing a, a different version of it with some things added, but uh, I'm assuming you've heard of Amazing Grace. Right? Isaac Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Now take into account that Isaac Newton himself was a slave trader before he came to the Lord. So by today's standard especially, that would make him a, a terrible, horrific man. Right? He participated and furthered the cause of slavery. But he met Jesus who forgave him and justified him with God and it gave him a new life and it transformed his heart and Isaac Newton was also a key figure in the ending of slavery. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. You see, the cross is the ultimate example of justice. On that cross, judgment was rendered. God in his justice, 
forgave our sins through the sacrifice of his son. Kind of seems a little unfair, doesn't it? I mean, when we think of justice, often the first thing that comes out of our mouth is, that's not fair. Oftentimes, fairness is our barometer for that. But Christ took on our sins. I was just informed it wasn't Isaac, it was John. John Newton, but he was still a slave trader. So through Jesus, his redemptive act on the cross, those who accept what God has done become just themselves, not only forgiven, but justified brought into a relationship with God, reconciled, even though they were undeserving. This is also grace. In Colossians 1, verse 19, it says, For God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Through the redemptive act of Christ, justice has been served according to God's standard. So, so far the attributes of justice include justice being in God's very character. He cannot be unjust. Justice includes God setting the definition of justice because he himself is just. God judges everyone based on their own merit. Justice is applied equally to everyone, to all people. Justice offers redemption and reconciliation, and justice is grace. Now, if we truly believe that we are made in the image of God, then we must also understand that we are called to seek justice as well. We, of course, cannot use ourself as the standard for that justice. So that means our feelings, our sense of fairness, doesn't play into that. It can't play into that. Our emotional response to anything is going to be unbalanced and therefore unjust. 
it is imperative that we do not hold forth our own actions and thought processes as the standard. This is a path that leads to destruction. The only way to truly seek justice is to look at the only thing that can clearly define justice. And that, as we've just determined, based on what we've read, is God himself. So if we truly believe that we are made in the image of God, we must understand that we are called to seek justice and we must apply the standard that is constant and does not change. We must apply the standard that God applies in his seeking of justice as well. We know that God is just and we know that he has called us to be just. In fact, in Exodus 20, 16, this is in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20:16 it says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Right? Lying about what your neighbor has done would be unjust. In Proverbs in Proverbs 6 Proverbs 6 starting in verse 16 there are six things that the Lord hates no seven that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, and a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. So we are required not to bear false witness ourselves and to uphold the truth. If we ourselves are required to not bear false witness We must uphold the truth. We must also not support those who bear false witness either. We already went through in Leviticus that said that we are judged fairly in matters of justice. We are not to treat the the rich or poor more favorably. Deuteronomy in uh, chapter 19 also says you must not convict anyone of a crime on the testimony of only one witness. It goes on to say in verse 15 that the facts of the case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness comes forward and accuses somebody of a crime, then both the accuser and the accused must appear before the Lord by coming to the priests and judges in office at the time, and the judge must investigate the case thoroughly. If the accuser has brought false charges against his fellow Israelite, you must impose the accuser the sentence that he intended for the other person. In this way, you will purge this evil from among you. Well, that seems to surpass the American system of justice. So just as God instructs the Israelites, he also carries the thought over to the New Testament. You can see Jesus himself talking in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And if... The other person listens and confesses that you have won the person back. Uh, But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back so that everything you say can be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So not just one person's witness. We also see that cases must be investigated thoroughly, right? Uh, It's easy to get swept up 
in this uh, tidal wave of media, news broadcasts, social media posts that surround us, that inundate us. Everyone shares their opinions. Uh, everyone shares from their own perspective, their own narratives. We live in a world where everyone has a voice and it can sometimes be difficult to determine whether or not that voice has any merit. Um, who's actually correct in these types of instances? It can be difficult to hear the words who, of those who are qualified to speak on the matter because they are so often drowned out by those who have no clue what's going on. I'm reminded of, uh, I'm reminded of uh, an episode. What, what was that show that, uh, that was a spoof of, of uh, Star Trek? Right? There was a... I hate when that happens. But there is a specific episode where they went to a planet that was ruled by social media. Everybody's opinion, everyone voted on the offense that took place. Everybody had a say in it, even though they didn't have all the facts in what was going on. At the time when I watched that, I was like, oh, totally. Orville, I knew, thank you. This is why we have a crack team of researchers at hand. In case I mess up references and in case I forget references. So it can be difficult because we kind of live in that type of world. There was also an episode of Black Mirror where your social status determined, you know, who you got to hang around with. And it starts out with a woman with a decent score being invited to a wedding of a friend with a great score because their social media consultants advised them that it would look really good in the metrics to have a four attend their wedding. But by the time the wedding actually came, their social status had dropped to a two, and that would be death. So you do not invite people of that social status to your weddings, just so you know. So the, this whole idea of this uh, large amount of voices, having a say in how we live our lives, how we dole out justice, how we go about seeking justice, how we investigate the facts on justice, is just nuts. It's crazy. Yet it's a, a place that we find ourselves actually living in, to a degree, right? But that's the way things go. Uh, if you pay attention at all to any of the sci-fi stuff, there is so much that has been predicted by sci-fi authors that has come to fruition. A lot of them are probably unchanneled, untrained prophets. Some of them are actual prophets. And I make that distinction because really depends on if they actually have a relationship with God so that their gift is used to its fullest capacity and is not chaotic and destructive in nature. But I'm not here to talk about prophets. I'm here to talk about justice. Justice can only be truly served when things are investigated fully, when we apply a correct filter 
to all of the information that we take in. As Christians, we should apply a thorough filter to everything. This is the helmet of salvation. We've talked about this before. I know I talk about it all the time. Probably sick of hearing about it, but it's very important for you to understand. The helmet of salvation controls passes that, that pass-through filter for how it is that we understand the world. The information that we take in must be filtered through our understanding of our salvation through Christ. It's a completely different perspective than the world would offer. It is only because of our salvation that we are able to understand our relationship with God more fully, that we were able to experience it more fully. In fact, when we came to an understanding of God's saving grace through His Son, we cast off the ways of the world. That means that our ways of thinking had to be cast to the side as well. We must begin again with a renewed mind and renewed body filtering everything through the filter of our salvation and our relationship through God. It is imperative that we do so, that we think correctly about our relationship with God and use that as the filter for what comes into our heads and what goes out of our mouths. It is imperative that we seek justice and that justice meets the standard that God himself applies, which is God himself. As in all things, God and our relationship with him must be the primary focus of our lives. We cannot identify ourselves any other way and be honest. We are only here because the Creator has put us here. We can only live fulfilling, just-filled lives if we look at that relationship as the primary descriptor of who we are. When we think of justice, we must remember what it says in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But praise God, it doesn't end there. For he continues on to say, Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned at times in the past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do at this present time. See, God's justice is fair beyond measure. The problem is, is we just lack the capacity to be able to see the vastness of his plan. So our initial reaction of, that's not fair, sounds exactly like it sounds when we hear our toddlers say it. Uninformed, uneducated. We are far far done from talking about this subject. 
We'll continue next week to compare the so-called social justice. Notice there's now an adjective in front of justice. And we'll compare that social justice with the filter of salvation, with the idea and the concept of justice that we have discovered in God's Word. So I'm going to give you some questions and we're going to partake, uh, we're going to take a small break to partake in communion, but uh, these questions will prompt discussion hopefully for you in your cell group. So for discussion, what have you considered injustices in the past? What have you considered injustices in the past? And were they? See, take it a step further. What have you considered injustices in the past and were they? Second question, how have redemption and reconciliation played into your sense of justice? Have you ever thought about justice with those things in mind? Also, we have to address the question, how does social media play a role in justice? Because it's there whether it belongs to be there or not. So how does social media play a role in justice? And lastly, how has your own sin affected your thoughts on justice? How has your own sin affected your thoughts on justice? Now I'd like you to take opportunity to go ahead and quiet your hearts and think about these things and think about what Christ has done for you as we think about justice.